Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Citizenship is a community act. Democracy gets its power from the people. The shrinking of people participating in that process over time has landed us in a more polarized space. This is How to Be a Citizen from Pantsu Politics. Over four episodes, we talk about how to vote, how to debate, how to think about our relationship to our government and our communities. Join us as we think about what America in 2020 should be and what we should be to America. Hi, everyone. This is Elise, Managing Director of Pantsuit Politics. Before we jump into this next episode of our How to Be a Citizen series, I wanted to tell you about some of the exciting content we'll be sharing on our Instagram. We've asked some dear friends of the podcast to share what being a citizen means to them. You can find their beautiful words and share what being a citizen means to you over at Pantsuit Politics on Instagram. While you're there, of course, make sure to subscribe so you never miss Sarah's morning news briefs or any of the other regular content that we're sharing there. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our series, How to Be a Citizen. We are so excited to be gathered around the podcast table and engaging on these deep questions about what the United States is to us, what is the United States, which is what we tackled on Tuesday's episode. What is our government? How is it set up? How do we engage with it as citizens? And what we really wanted to tackle in this episode is, okay, if that's what the United States is to us, then what are we to the United States? We wanted to get a little more philosophical on the questions of citizenship 
and our duties to our community and to the government as citizens. Beth, you wrote an Instagram post over the July 4th holiday in which you described a new way you're thinking about citizenship that really struck a nerve and I thought was particularly beautiful and a good jumping off point to this conversation. Yeah, as I was thinking about July 4th this year and all of its complexity, it really occurred to me that I'm trying to think about citizenship more like I think about motherhood. And so I posted a picture of my young daughter, Jane, when she was three years old and a total mess on July 4th. She's holding in the picture a sparkler with a little cup on the end to protect her from the sparkler. And she just looks... She looks a mess. I, you know, I said that her shoes didn't match her dress and her hair was tangled and she'd had too much sugar and too few vegetables. Uh, like Jane in this picture, I think America is holding more than it really feels up to handle. And I do think America is tired and confused and a mess right now. And with both, I I feel so much love for that mess and an interest in approaching my work as a citizen like my work as a mother. So on Instagram, I said, being a citizen is just like the work of being a mother. It takes everything you have. It asks you to be kinder, more patient, more generous, more thoughtful than you feel like being. It asks you to have the answers even as you're working out the questions for yourself. It's never complete. It requires clarity about right, wrong, and the in-between. It requires constant renewal of the commitment to raise this country right. And I think about last episode and how we talk about citizenship as if it is just the acts, the act of voting, the act of paying our taxes, the act of obeying traffic laws, or the act of sending our children to public school. That composes the entirety of that identity. And just like with motherhood, the acts of motherhood, changing a diaper, giving a bottle, grounding a teenager, you know, that's just such a small percentage of how I feel about my identity as a parent, that it's that the larger embrace of what I'm trying to achieve as a parent instead of the individual acts. And also, you know, I'm my my best moments as a mother are when I am engaged and connected with my children, not when I am in my own head critiquing the individual behaviors as a parent. It's not when I'm stressing out about whether my kids are watching too much screens that I'm like being the best parent I can be. It's when I'm with them and looking in their eyes and holding them and thinking about what they need from me in that moment. And I just think that's a really beautiful way to think about citizenship, that there are acts that we must do thoughtfully and carefully and do our research to do well as citizens, but that there is a relationship, there is a connection at play here with our fellow citizens and with our communities and with our country that should be fueling that identity. It's sort of a hard balance as you think about the founding of the nation. There are so many references throughout the Federalist Papers to a commercial republic. The idea that the principal reason to have government is so commerce proceeds smoothly. 
And through commerce, people have the best lives that are available to them under the circumstances. And of course, embedded under that line of reasoning, you have to look at the institution of slavery happening as people were writing about that commercial republic as the best path to freedom. And so on one hand, when I think about the United States being founded as a commercial republic, it feels gross to me. In another way, I think, is it a healthier orientation to your government to see it as the protector of largely private rights um, versus having that kind of, uh, you know, superficial patriotism that's so popular right now where America is an identity, but it's an identity in a T-shirt bumper sticker everybody who doesn't like it can get the hell out kind of way. And then the other dimension is that sort of motherhood dimension that I feel where I think I want an America full of those factions and interests in tension with one another because I do believe that that ultimately protects the rights of the public. And at the same time, I want that America to be centered in a few virtues that we all agree unite a national identity in a healthy way, not in a way that sends us off to fight endless wars and not in a way that says we exclude everyone who doesn't choose the same symbols of it that we love, but in a way that keeps us all pushing into the questions of how we have great freedom for everyone who lives here. And there there are all those pieces, but it's, but you know what, that's just like parenting too, right? That balance of, I want you to be your own person, but I also want to instill some of what I think is important in you. I want to set up guardrails, but give you lots of space. I guess it is not that different than what's called for in all of our relationships. When I read the Federalist Papers and I think about our founding documents and try as best as I can, which seems an impossible task, to think about what it must have been like to be alive at that time and to struggle with the issues that they struggled with. You know, I think that they saw that connection. And I think that they knew that they were falling short and they let those commercial interests get the better of them. And the irony to me is what I hope that we are beginning to finally see in this country is, again, it's like the parenting phrase. You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. You are only as successful commercially as your least successful citizen. You know, I don't know. Did they see that? Could they see that? Or were they so obsessed with bringing the South into the fold? Were they so limited by the hierarchies of the time? Because, you know, they really were, if you are not a white landowning male, you are less than. And yet, I don't know. I, I you know, I, and I, it's not something we can know, right? We can't know 
how deep the hypocrisy lay with them. I just think that the unfinished symphony, the part of the United States that has driven us forward, the biggest changes we've made to those founding documents is this idea that we have to include the entire family in citizenship. It's the big changes to these democratic ideals, this push to of universal enfranchisement, the changes to how we elect senators, how we elect the president. Like you see that push and push and push in America's history because, you know, I truly believe even if you view the exchange between citizen and government in commercial terms, it's a short term, long term payoff. When you make those sacrifices in the short term because you think it's in your commercial interest, they will always come back in the long term. And we will all suffer because of it. You know, and I hope that the biggest shift we can make as we think about our duties and our responsibilities, what we are to this country, is that, you know, we are all one. <laughs> when we say that, that it's consent of the governed, it's the power of the people. If we could abandon for once and for all that it's just some people that really matter, I think our country could truly enter like a new phase of being. And that's, you know... I'm not saying that's not a big lift. That's hard as a parent. I'm reading Andrew Solomon's Far From the Tree. And he says, you know, we all pride ourselves in rebelling and being different from our parents, but it breaks our hearts when our children choose to be different from us. And I think that there's that. You see that, you see that in the United States, too, right? That kind of we've got to break away in order to enter into a new and different phase as a country where the success is available to all. Because if it's not, then the success of the country is on the line. And I think we all feel that tension right now at this particular moment in American history. We're realizing what happens to this person happens to me. What happens to my fellow citizen, no matter how different they are, where they live, or what they look like, happens to me. The founding fathers could not internalize that message. But we have gotten closer here in 2020. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I think where we're struggling to reconcile some of the noble ideals about how people should be free with the institution of slavery in place at the time they were writing the Federalist Papers, the Constitution, et cetera. If we could know for some of them, because they weren't a monolithic group of people, mm-hmm. I think the answer might have been, candidly, we'll get to it later. Mm-hmm. There's so much about the Federalist Papers that's helped me remember that the Constitution was the first draft, that they really were saying, we got to get this done so that we can get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Well, listen, the Constitution wasn't even the first draft. It was the second draft. Right, <laughs> first right. you had the Articles of Confederation. And for the Constitution itself, that you know, when you actually dive into the Constitutional Convention, you get the sense that, oh, these were people and they got tired. 
They got tired Mm -hmm. of each other. They got hot. They were ready to go home Mm -hmm. and think about something else. And so part of what I really love that comes through about Alexander Hamilton's personality in the Federalist Papers is this exasperation. Don't you get it? There is a problem. We need to try to solve it. I understand that our solution's not perfect, but we got to do this before we can get to something closer to perfect. And I think the trouble with the way we talk about the Constitution and the principles of our government and the founders and and all of that right now, it's like we're parents who said, well, the child turned 18, we're done. Yep. And you are not done as a parent when the child turns 18. And we were not done as a country when the Bill of Rights was ratified or the 19th Amendment was ratified or whatever you think the signal of being done was. We weren't done with the election of the first African-American president. We weren't, you know, we just we aren't done. But we talk about so many of these things like they were done the moment the ink dried on the Constitution. And I just don't think that's ever been the intention. Well, and I like that you're using the word framers, right? Because you're not done building the house just because the frame is up. That's just the beginning step. They were framing it. And building takes sacrifice. And I think that's the other really important component of this conversation is when we say, what are we to the country? It means, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to work for or towards? And that's hard. That is hard. And that is hard whether you're just asking someone to have an uncomfortable conversation. That is hard if you are asking someone in the military to risk their lives. That is hard if you're asking someone to run for office and put themselves and their family in front of the full force of the Internet and public discourse. It's all hard. It's all hard. and I, But I think that, you know, the idea of, other people have it worse than me or other people are being asked to sacrifice more or other people are suffering more. Yes, you're right. There are people that have it harder. And so by definition, that means you have the resources and the energy and the time to go out there and do the work. So don't just try to change it for yourself. If you realize that there is an injustice or a problem with the system, The work of citizenship is saying, do I have more time and energy to dedicate myself to change than someone who might be suffering more under the system? It doesn't mean the system isn't wrong because someone else has it worse than you. It doesn't mean that you are not identifying a problem because your problem is not so oppressive that you can't function. It means that you have the privilege of seeing the problem and having the energy and ability to work towards the change. And I think like realizing we're not done and if we can identify real areas of change that need to happen, systemic problems where the system needs to change, then our work as citizens is not just identifying the problem, but identifying our role in the solution. Because don't you wish desperately that the framers had had more of a sense of urgency and less of a we'll get to it sense about slavery? Mm-hmm. I think that that's what our future generations are going to say. We yep. are still hundreds of years later acting like we'll get to it. Or like because we've heard that the arc of the universe is long 
and it bends toward justice that we can just allow it to bend on its own time. Mm-hmm. And we're in a period now where we really have the capability to act with a greater sense of urgency about how we think of our government, how we think of our communities, how we culturally behave, and what our relationship to each other is. And I don't I don't want 200 years from now for us to still be having conversations as a human society about systemic racism. Or incarceration. Or incarceration. I don't want my daughters to think, why didn't they do something about gerrymandering? They clearly knew about it. Look, they were writing about it all the time. They complained about it constantly. Why did everybody give up on this problem and just lament it instead of fixing it? They could have fixed it. Um, And that's what really motivates me as we lean into this conversation about citizenship. It is easy to look at the problem that is most on fire in front of you and want to put that out. And it's right to do that. We have to. But just like the thing on fire in front of John Jay and James Madison and Alexander Hamilton was getting New York on board, I wish they could have done that and pushed people harder. I think about this with healthcare a lot. You know, we look back and we think, oh, my God, they bled people. How barbaric. Believe there are things we're doing now that in 50 years from now, people will go, I can't believe you did that. It was so barbaric. And I think maybe that's a really important touch point and orientation to our jobs as citizens is that not just that we're not done, but that future generations are depending on us to get it right and to get it right quickly to understand we never have complete knowledge and that we have to do the best we can with the information we have right now. We don't need any more information to understand that incarcerating human beings, that incarcerating children is a human rights offense and that participating in that as citizens is immoral. We don't need any more information about that. I don't. I'm kind of allergic to the word fix because, you know, it's like parenting. Do we ever fix temper tantrums? Uh I haven't. Do we ever fix, you know, disrespect or, you know, the, the kind of bubbling up issues you see a different. We don't ever fix it. We just keep working on it because the stakes are high. Because we love our child and we want it to succeed. And so, you know, with all of these bigger issues, I think you're right. I think tapping into that, how high are the stakes? How will future generations feel if we put this aside to work on later? It's a really good way to think about it. It's a really good way to a filter through which to see your role as citizen. And in a way that both increases and decreases the pressure. Mm -hmm. I think part of what is so disempowering right now is that we do feel if it can't be fixed, it can't be worked on. Yep. It's too hard, so nothing. And instead, if we find our place sort of in the flow of history and know that, yes, some of the things that we've done will look barbaric in 200 years. That doesn't mean the things that we know to be barbaric now can't be stopped. 
Mm-hmm. I think that is how I feel about the the framers and the institution of slavery. We like to tell ourselves that they just didn't know. And to some extent, some of them, that's right, that their their lives made it much harder to see clearly their actions for what they were. But we also see in their writings that they knew a lot. Mm-hmm. And we see from writings of others at the time that people were not blind to it. And so the same goes for us. There are things, yes, that we just won't know, but there are plenty of things that we do know and that we are not working on because they feel too hard, because we excuse ourselves about how things have always been and what we've grown up with, because we assign a moral value to longstanding practice. We've Mm -hmm. been doing it this way for so long. There must be something right and good about that. And we've got to be willing to ask ourselves really tough questions and unpack that and decide that experience is valuable, but that doesn't mean that everything that has experience is good enough to continue based on what we understand today. Well, you know, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I think all the time about an interview I heard with Annette Gordon-Reed, who is the historian who wrote sort of the seminal and first widespread available history of Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. And she said, it's not that he didn't know. It's that he was just so obsessed with the experiment of democracy. He just kept putting the issue and the hypocrisy of slavery in a box. It's like he compartmentalized it because he was just so singularly obsessed. And I think if there's anything as citizens that would be helpful (laughs) as we think about this role is to be more holistic, is to realize that when we're talking about a body, a community of human beings, There is no compartmentalization. There is no, we'll focus on what we're obsessed with. Now, there, like you said, there are fires to put out, no doubt. There are all hands on deck situations. But a crisis does not need a moral argument to justify the compartmentalization, right? Like a crisis is we all agree. If we don't all agree that this is an all hands on deck situation, then it might not be then we're just disagreeing on strategy. If it feels like we're debating values, then we need to take a more holistic approach. Then we're on different pages. And I think that's what happens so often. You know, some of us think we're debating policy when we're debating culture. Some of us debate think we're debating strategy when we're debating values. Some of us think that we're moralizing when really we're just prioritizing And I think that's, you know, why we always argue for grace, because the right for someone to be here, the belief that everyone belongs means that we have like just by definition, we have to take a more holistic approach. And that, you know, that means that moving forward as citizenship as a community act is going to be difficult. And it's going to be that messy, complicated process that we talked about in the first episode in the Federalist Papers. It's going to be slow. Two things come to mind for me listening to you right now. The first is when you say all hands on deck, I want to be really clear that, and I know what you mean by this, that all hands on deck does not mean 100% of the people. 
The fact that not 100 percent of Americans believe that COVID-19 is a crisis doesn't make it not a crisis. The vast majority of people believe that there is a problem here and see the problem and are trying to do something on a huge spectrum, (laughs) but something to mitigate against it. That's good enough. We've never had 100% on anything, and we're not going to get it on anything, and that is okay, and we have got to stop wasting so much time and energy on the outliers. We have got to stop using even our social media feeds to constantly say, look at the outlier. Can you even believe it? Mm -hmm. Because in doing so, all we are doing is increasing the microphone and the standing of the outlier, when what we could actually do is just say the reasonable majority sees a problem. Now let's move forward on the strategy and the tactic around that problem. It's that orientation of individuals versus a collective. I just engaged on Facebook, which I should not have done, with one of my former foes at the city commission, one of the officers in the sons of the Confederate veteran. And he does what he always does whenever I engage with him on this topic, which is, well, did you know there were black slave owners? Well, did you know that there were northerners who committed war crimes? Well, did you, you know, it's this individual. Well, see, if we're if we're just trying to get to 100 percent, then when I show you that there is a person of this identity who does not agree with this opinion, then then scrap it. We don't have anything to talk about here. If there's one Candace Owens out there telling us that these protests are for naught, then forget it. Because we have put the individual opinion, the individual outlook on such a pedestal that we use it as a get out of the argument free card. Because we don't have a lot of great language when it comes to speaking about the collective and the community And even just systems, you know, that's what I was trying to tell him. I just I don't know how to convey to you that when I speak about Confederate symbols, I am talking about systemic racism, not individual hearts and minds. I just I don't know how to get that across. And maybe you're right. I mean, the point is, right. I don't need to. If enough of us agree that systemic racism is a problem and spoiler alert, I think we're there then we don't need to get 100% buy-in. And look, does it sound like we're talking about both sides of our mouths? Citizenship is a community act, and also you're just going to have to ignore part of the community. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) It's complicated. It's as complicated as it was in that sweltering room when they only had a tiny percent of the population trying to come to agreement. It's not like they were getting 100% buy-in. They only had rich property-owning white guys in the room. And there were... People among rich, property-owning white guys who would have been happy to keep paying taxes to the king and stay a colony, you know. So things move with or without everyone, and we got to keep moving with them. I think the second thing that came to mind for me in a related point when you talked about thinking more holistically, I love this book by Jillian Tett called The Silo Effect, The Peril of Expertise and the Promise of Breaking Down Barriers. The book really crystallizes examples of how obsessed we are with very niche expertise. The book Mm -hmm. does not argue that no one should be a very niche expert. And just like you were saying, Sarah, I would never argue that anyone should ignore a singular obsession with a certain topic. I am glad that some thinkers have been singularly obsessed with 
developing a, a vaccine for a certain disease mm-hmm. or painting in a certain way or or what I'm glad there are people who are singularly focused on climate change right now. We need some of those people. The problem I think is that because we so value the folks who have that niche expertise or that singular focus, we've decided there's something superior about that to the more holistic lens. And the mm-hmm. truth is plenty of us are wired for that holistic lens and we've told ourselves that it's not valuable enough that we really need to force ourselves into a lane Mm -hmm. and in doing so we not only diminish our own potential to contribute to the community but we also diminish what the niche thinkers can accomplish because they can only do their best work if somebody else is tending to the whole yeah that to me is the breakdown of our political processes. We talk about this all the time, that it cannot be that this Congress is the worst Congress we've ever had, that politicians today are somehow worse human beings than politicians of generations past. It's that we have delegated more and more and more of caring for our country to a smaller and smaller group of people. And we've said those people need to have certain credentials and expertise, and that has turned it into an industry. And meanwhile, we haven't tended the rest of it, you know. And so I think the more we look at citizenship holistically and our place in our communities and our place as citizens of the United States, the better canvas we're going to create for those people who go to a place of genuine expertise. Because make no mistake. Part of this breakdown is people do not feel empowered as citizens. The approval rating of Congress is a giant siren warning problems ahead. And it should be to all of us. Because if people don't feel like their representatives are listening, then they don't feel like they should engage as citizens with the process. Like there's a breakdown and it feels like whatever problem that you think is out there that you are rocked by or that you can't stop thinking about that you're singularly obsessed with. The answer is, oh, well, just give us your email address and give us some money. And that is disempowering. And that is a problem. (laughs) And when we say how to be a citizen, it can't just be. Write a check and give us your email address. It can't just be this sort of consumer model of citizenship that will plug in to that tiny group of people doing the work, holding the expertise, pushing the process forward. We need people to do more than just hand over their credit card numbers to Act Blue. You know, like, I think it has to be more than that if we want to see a more holistic version of citizenship where everyone's at the table, where there's more a more complex understanding of the problems and the solutions and the priorities. That has to be a part of it, too. And I think you you're seeing that now more than ever. I think you are seeing people. They want to do more. You watched it when they flooded the streets. After George Floyd's murder. People care. They care. They want to see a different country. They want to see change. You know, the power of that momentum is because it is collective. 
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. What else I've been thinking about when it comes to collective action is, you know, drawing on my old school women's studies minor days. It's just the power of consciousness raising as citizens, how I think we really, we forget about how powerful that is to come together in a group and say, 
I see this problem in the system. Do you see it too? That is the real secret weapon when we talk about moving from an individualistic approach where we all just need to, as individuals, try harder, which no one in this podcast is telling anybody to do. I think that's the power of moving out of that just it's up to me to try harder mindset is to join with other people, to have that vision expanded through the eyes and life and perspective of another fellow citizen for someone to say, yeah, you're not crazy. I see that, too. You're not crazy. My student loan debt is preventing me from living the life I want to live. I felt like I was sold a lie. You're not wrong. I see that, too. I see that gender imbalance in my workplace. I see the racial. And I mean, that's what that moment in time, that video of George Floyd's death, it was like a massive consciousness raising exercise across the country. That's why that was so powerful. That's why we saw its effect so quickly. Because we all looked around and said, oh, my God, do you see it, too? Oh, my God. That's what those moments can do. And they don't all have to be a viral video. It can be moments in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, where we say, I see something wrong here. Do you see it, too? Am I crazy? I feel alone. Tell me I'm not alone in this. Tell me I'm not alone in my heartbreak over incarceration. Tell me I'm not alone in my frustration of not being able to get ahead and give a better life to my children. Tell me I'm not alone in the terror of coming down with a chronic illness and not being able to pay my medical bills. Tell me it's not just me. That's what the power of that is. Well, I think the other thing that is really important to remember in all of this is that uh, it does not feel good for the most part. It is. Uh, it it sucks that it took the extreme brutality of George Floyd's murder, the extreme brutality on display in a video mm-hmm. for so many, particularly white Americans, to say, oh, my God. Because that video was not a surprise or an awakening for lots and lots of American citizens. It was confirmation of what they already knew. And it was another devastating reminder of what they already knew. And it was another act of violence upon them. And it sucks. It sucks no matter who you are to have moments like that that shine a light not only on the problem, but on the lack of understanding collectively about what the problem is. It sucks. This is why I think it gets so difficult to get excited about being a citizen, because for many people, being excited about being a citizen is about this one politician who feels like the answer. Mm Mm-hmm. And what happens when that one politician gets into office and does something different than what I wish he or she would have done? Turns out to be a human being. <laughs> Turns out to be a human being. What happens when that person loses? What happens when that person has served the term? Even politicians who talk about themselves as movements and who begin a movement cannot singularly sustain and carry it forward. And so that's rough because a lot of people come into the process of citizenship for the first time 
through the lens mm-hmm. of I'm really excited about this one candidate. And that to me is part of the value. It's it's part of the value of the series to me is to remember that candidate is supposed to be a representative. Mm-hmm. They can still be a leader, but their role in this larger thing we're all doing together here is to be one of many ways of representing you. There has to be something underneath them to represent. And that thing that's underneath them has to outlast them and Mm -hmm. has to be bigger than them. And this happens with issues. So I've been really passionate about criminal justice reform for a long time, way before the George Floyd video. It is heartbreaking to know how much work is being done in that space, and still this is happening. And not just George Floyd, right? But Breonna Taylor and so many others, just on and on and on and on and on. There's so much work happening in that space and still. And so when you get really connected to being a citizen through an individual issue, what that deals you, just like having a child, is a thousand tiny victories and a thousand tiny heartbreaks. Mm -hmm. over and over and over. And tiny is not even the right word, but it is in the scheme of the news cycle. That's what I mean, that there is just there are all these little blips that show progress and that show all the things left to do and demonstrate so clearly that we're not trying to get there because there doesn't exist. It is just are we doing better? Are we Mm -hmm. making a difference? Are we living out the values that are really important to us? And so As you think about this, both as an individual and as a community exercise, you are signing up for all of the heartbreak attendant to it. But there's something about that that's worth it, because just like in individual relationships, it is better to have love and hate than to have apathy Mm-hmm. and indifference, uh, that is true for us as citizens as well. And my fear is that we're all so dissatisfied with our government that we so reflexively have that terrible opinion of our Congress because it's coming from a place of apathy and indifference. It feels like we want heroes, but what we really want is belonging, right? Like we we did it to Martin Luther King in the history of his life. We made an, a movement, one of the most successful movements in the history of the United States, the story of one man who, who listen, deserves praise, deserves, if anybody does, to be put on a pedestal. But when you do that, when you make it about heroes, then you miss the chance to empower those of us still here to belong to something because heroes are the end of the story. An invitation to belong is the beginning of the story. And belonging can fuel you through the really messy middle, the hard discomfort, the tiny heartbreaks that belong. You're a part of something. And it's so tempting to want to be the hero It's so tempting to want to have good and bad beginning and end because it's a sense of control, but it is a false sense of control. Because I think any control we have, any real sense of empowerment comes from that belonging, that connection. 
it's so empowering to try to convey that if you can just let go and belong and realize it's not totally and completely up to you to fix, that that's where the sense of empowerment comes from. That's how you survive the tiny heartbreaks. You know, when you stop trying to control your child and just be in connection with them and be in relationship with them, true in a marriage, true in a friendship, true with our own parents, everything can shift. Everything can shift. And I wish we could find that energy, and I think we can as citizens. Okay, so as we do, wide-ranging conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All over the place is our middle name. I think it would be helpful to talk about takeaways and to remember that our takeaways are not always going to be productivity, task-oriented, bullet points, check these boxes and you've done your thing. We're trying to really let that go, y'all. Just full disclosure in our personal lives and on the podcast. <laughs> We're trying to let that go. But trying to ask ourselves some good questions. I think a great starting question is, where do you source your sense of belonging? And what does that feel like in your life? Where does that create tension and where does it create a sense of harmony? You know, Mm -hmm. I belong to lots of things that create a ton of tension for me. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Belonging does not mean 100% alignment. So where do you find a sense of belonging and how does that feel for you? I always like how Jen Hatmaker talks about, let's just look at the fruits of the tree. What are the fruits of the tree? If we feel overwhelmed by work to be done, disagreement? Am I trying to raise the consciousness of my fellow citizens or am I trying to convince those outliers? I think that that what are the fruits of the tree? Does it give me energy? Is a good way to sort of plug in and feel out that tension? Is it the discomfort? Is it the growth of all those tiny heartbreaks? Or is it wanting to control and convince and get to 100% so that I can feel like I've fixed it and moved on. I think those are important, you know, as we covered both of those in those in this conversation, I think those are important kind of touch points because it's not always immediately apparent. Am I trying to control the outliers or am I trying to raise the consciousness of the majority? And then the third question I would ask is, in what way have you considered America done that you're open to reconsidering? What have you considered final that should not be? What is it that is not working today that we could make real progress on here in our lifetimes? So we hope that you sit with these questions. We hope you're enjoying this invitation to think about citizenship. We're not done yet. Next week, we're going to talk about media, how we engage with these questions, just like our actual practices as citizens ourselves when we think about our roles in our local communities, our roles as voters, and again, our roles as citizens. So join us next week as we continue the series. We thank you all so much for joining us. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. 
Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Allie Edwards, Martha Brunitsky, Amy Whited, Janice Elliott, Sarah Ralph, Barry Kaufman, Jeremy Sequoia, Lori Ladau, Emily Neasley, Allison Luzader, Tracy Putoff, Julie Haller, Jared Minson. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.